Well, this morning, as I mentioned, we'll continue our message series. We're going verse by verse through the book of James. Today, we're in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, where he talks about enduring temptation. Let me invite you to take your listening guide. I hope you've learned that by Friday each week, we try to have these available at fbcborough.church, where you can print, bring them with you. We haven't yet resumed printed materials here uh, yet. We're going to get to that point, but you can print yours in advance and bring it with you, or we're available on the Uversion app. You can follow along with notes there as well, or as I sometimes lightheartedly say, you can take notes the old-fashioned way. But uh, let's look at James chapter 1, verses 12 and following, about enduring temptation. Now, he says in verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. It's important to note that that's the same word he used over in verse 2 when he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So trials and temptations, the same word, translated differently, it means a time of testing. Sometimes your testing is going through heartache and brokenness and suffering. Sometimes your testing is the temptation to sin. So James uses the same word, but in this paragraph applies it to what we would traditionally consider uh, temptation towards sin. So blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been proved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Enduring temptation. I remember years ago when I was a young teenager living in Warner Robins where I grew up, Dad came home one day with a basket of strawberries. And there were six of us in the family, four kids and mom and dad. And and so he found six little bowls and he put out a serving and we all had our own individual bowl of strawberries. And well, we were like uh, one of those uh, starving uh, runway artists with a pizza. We just grabbed up everything we ate as fast as we could. (laughs) And it was all gone, except dad. What he did, he took his strawberries and cut them into small pieces. And took some sugar and sprinkled it all on top of his bowl of strawberries. And he let them sit there. And soak up that sweet, uh, wonderful juiciness of sugary sappiness. And you could just hear the sugar melting inside of those strawberries. And then he left them on the counter for the chemistry project to complete itself. (laughs) Well, about an hour or so later, I'm sitting in the living room. And then somebody hollers, hey, John, I didn't see any of my siblings around. And then again, John. And I realized that from the other room, those strawberries my dad had sugar on were calling my name, (laughs) calling out to me to come get them. But I I resisted (laughs) those temptations. But is there anything in your life that calls out your name? that calls to you, that lures you. Well, if you face temptation, the Bible says you're normal. (laughs) 
Because that's part of the Christian life. There are things that call out to us and, and they lure us and, and they, they entice us. And so James is talking about here how to endure those times when temptation comes your way. Here's the main thing to know today, what James is talking about in chapter 1. It's phrased as a question. What if temptation could lead us to God instead of to sin? What if? What if temptation could lead us to God? The same temptation could lead us to God instead of leading us to sin. Because when you face temptation, you are standing at a crossroads. You are standing at an intersection. And that same temptation can take you either way. It can take you to sin or it can take you to God. But James is telling us here in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, that if you will endure temptation, if you will overcome temptation, if you will withstand temptation, that temptation will not take you to sin. Instead, that temptation will take you closer to God. So how does that happen? How do we let our temptations take us to God instead of into sin? I'm reminded of what the German monk reformer Martin Luther said about 500 years ago, that you, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Now, that, I like that quote because it makes me imagine a head full of hair that the birds might want to nest in or something like that. But he said, you, you can't keep temptations from coming your way because that's a part of life. If your goal in life is never to have temptation, you're going to be sorely disappointed. You can't, I think the, the, the reformer, Luther, is right. You can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but what you can keep from happening is letting them nesting and festering and, and building in your hair or your mind or your heart or your life. So James says, endure temptation. So let me, the first thing James tells us is that handled wrongly, temptation takes us deeper in sin. Now whatever your temptation might be, when we handle it wrongly, it will lead us deeper into sin. James says in verse 13, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, because God, doesn't, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. See, the God's not going to lead you deeper into sin. So he tells us how we can endure it, but, but be careful, because if you handle it wrongly, it will take you to a place you never wanted to go. About 40 years ago, Warren Wearsby, great Bible teacher, preacher, former pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, he, he introduced what he called the, the cycle of temptation and sin. Been around for 40 years, and so it's still as good as it was back then. He says there's four things right out of the book of James that demonstrate the, the four step or the four parts of the cycle of temptation and sin. The first part is desire. Notice it's in verse 14. This process of temptation and sin begins when each one is tempted, not by God, but is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Our own desires are what draw us away. Now, desire, your desire may not necessarily be wrong or sinful. Many times the desires we have in our heart and our life are given to us by God. But what happens is sin occurs when the right desire is fulfilled in the wrong way. Did you follow that? The desire in and of itself may not be sinful, but when you fulfill or pursue the right desire but in the wrong way, then it becomes sin. So the first step is this desire. 
The second step is deception. James says here, the desire, what does it do in verse 14? It entices us. And it draws us away. It's, it, it deceives us. That may be a good desire fulfilled in God's way according to God's word, but we're deceived and we try to pursue our desires. It entices us to pursue them and to fulfill them in wrong and ungodly ways. That's why notice verse 16. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be deceived. We go from desire to deception. And Satan is the master deceiver. He's the father of lies. Even Paul the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, that Satan can present himself as an angel of light. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. You have these desires, but don't let them entice you. Don't let them draw you away. Don't be deceived. That's what the devil does. That which is good, he makes it to be bad. And that which is bad, he tells you it can be good. He, he deceives us. And then there is the, idea, the, the third step is disobedience. We go from desire to deception to disobedience. In verse 15, James says, when desire has conceived, it then gives birth to sin. We have a desire, we pursue in the wrong way because we've been deceived, and it yields act of sin, which is disobedience. And Satan is a master deceiver. Your disobedience is not because you have forgotten. You, 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 you're now hating God. It's because you have forgotten God. See, so the devil doesn't tell you to hate God. When you, when you sin, it's not because you started hating God. It's because you have forgotten God. And the devil's deceived you, and you've crossed over into sin. And most people don't wake up in the morning and say, today is the day. I'm going to push back on God's love and grace. Today is the day I'm going to shake my fist in the face of God. But it usually happens little by little, step by step, decision after decision, as we go down this long cycle of desire into deception and then into disobedience, which is sin. Several years ago, the Christian recording group Casting Crowns uh, released a wonderful song entitled Slow Fade. And the lyrics talk about how most people don't jump into sin. All of a sudden, there's a slow growing toward it. The lyrics say this. It is a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned into gray. And thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. I think they got it exactly right. How many times have you seen in people's lives where they, 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 they've given their lives away, they've given their marriages away, they've given their integrity away, they've given their reputation away, they've given their hearts away, but not all at once, but moment by moment, step by step, people don't give their lives away in a day. It's a slow fade from, from, from desires to deception, disobedience, one step, one thought, one word at a time, a slow fade. Haven't you found that in your life? That little by little, step by step, one compromise after another compromise, one, one bad choice after another bad choice, and finally you've gone, from, you've gone from desire to deception to outright disobedience to God Almighty. I often use as an illustration a, a numeric scale from one to ten. I Meaning ten is when you have, you've, you've sinned against Almighty God. 
And I've learned on that scale from 1 to 10, I've seen people do horrendous things, extramarital affairs. I've been, people have abused their families. They've stolen from their employers. They, they, they've, they've been involved in secret sin. That, that number 10 can represent a lot of things. But I've noticed nobody goes from step 1 all at once to step 10. You know how they get to step 10? They go from 1 to 2. And it doesn't feel so bad. It's a slow fade. They go from two to three, and they compromise a little more. They go from three to four. They're deceived anymore. And then four to five, six to seven, and they get to eight or nine. They can't stop themselves, and they've given their lives away. They've given their marriages away. They've given their integrity away. One deception, one step at a time. Haven't you seen that in people's lives? Haven't you seen that in your own life? Have you ever been somewhere and done something you thought, how did I get here? What was I thinking? Maybe a sin that was uncovered. Maybe you're just under the conviction of God's Holy Spirit. But you thought, how did I get here? Well, you got there one step at a time from desire to deception to outright disobedience. But it's not over. The fourth part of this cycle is death. Or I would add to Wearsby's outline, destruction. Destruction. <laughs> Notice what James says in verse 15. It gives birth to sin, and when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. Sin destroys and kills everything in its wake. That's the reason the Puritan John Owen said, you need to be killing sin or it's going to be killing you. It's a fight to the death. You can't play with it. You can't flirt with it. You can't entertain it. You can't court it. It's going to kill you or you've got to kill it. Because sin, when it's full grown in your life and your family, your heart, your marriage, your relationships, it will lead to death and destruction every single time. And that's the cycle of sin and temptation that James talks about here. But don't you see the same cycle in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve? Let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. These four steps, you see them as well. God said, you can, you can have everything in the garden except the one tree. We call it the forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Eve looked at the tree, and she, what, is, what does Genesis uh, chapter 3 tell us? She desired it for food. It was pleasing to the eyes. There was the desire. Then the old serpent is there. And the serpent starts to deceive and tells Eve and Adam, if you eat this, you will not surely die. Deception. Has God really said you can't have this? They went from desire to deception. And then they took of the fruit and ate. They disobeyed God and realized they were naked and tried to clothe themselves in fig leaves. And then God came to the garden and said that they would have death. An immediate spiritual death and eventually the labor and toil that would lead to physical death. Desire, deception, disobedience, and death. Don't you see the same thing in the life of King David? King David went through these same four parts of the cycle of sin and temptation. He's there at, at that his palace when he's supposed to be out fighting. And he goes on the rooftop one night and looks down across the way and there's Bathsheba bathing. He had a desire. And then using the, the authority of the royal throne, he invites her into the palace, deceiving her and deceiving himself. 
And then they commit adultery together, disobedience, and then it leads to death, the death of the, of the young son who is conceived, and the death, to kingdoms, the death to David's integrity and kingdom. His kingdom was going up and up and up and up, but after his sin with, the, with Bathsheba, his kingdom and his family began to fall apart. No one gives their life away in a day. Indeed, it is a slow fade through desire, deception, disobedience, and death. You see that in Adam and Eve's life. You see that in King David's life. But haven't you also seen it in your own life? Where some desire, you're deceived to fulfill it in the wrong way. It led to disobedience. And what you got as a result was destruction or death. When handled wrongly, James is telling us temptation will lead you deeper in sin. But the good news of the Scriptures here is that when handled correctly, that same temptation can lead you closer to God. That's the beautiful truth. The same temptation, if you handle it wrongly, will lead you deeper in sin. But the Scriptures tell us if you handle it correctly, that same temptation, believe it or not, will take you closer to God. It was G. Campbell Morgan, the great English preacher, a pastor here in America for a while. Morgan said, holiness is not freedom from temptation, but power to overcome temptation. If you think you've reached a level of spiritual growth, that, that one day you're going to grow close enough to Jesus, that, that one day you're going to know Jesus close enough that you'll be free from temptation, don't kid yourself. You'll never reach a point. That's not what holiness is. That's not what godliness is, that you somehow never have temptation, but it's knowing how to face it, knowing how to endure it, knowing how to withstand it, knowing how to overcome it. That's what spiritual growth enables you to do. So that when you face temptation, instead of it leading you to sin, it actually leads you to God. Notice a couple things James says here in the Scriptures that when you face temptation. First, when you're tempted, remember that temptation is temporary. Verse 12 talks about that. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. The very fact James talks about you enduring it means it's not going to last forever. It may only last for 10 minutes. How many lives can be changed? How many marriages could be saved? How many reputations would be rescued if somebody could have resisted that temptation for just 10 more minutes? Amen? It doesn't last forever. Sometimes it'll last a week. Sometimes it lasts years, but one day that temptation will be gone. That's why James says it's temporary. Let it lead you to God, not into sin. A second thing he tells us when you're tempted is remember that God is good, and he wants what's best for you. He talks about that in verse 17. We serve a good God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. That, that God is the fixed reference point. He is good. He is holy. He is sovereign. He is righteous. Remember the unchangeableness of God. He, and when James talks about, uses the language father of lights and variation and shadow of turning, he's using a reference that's used in extra biblical literature about the stars, how the stars will change places at night. And, and James is saying, 
he's the creator of the stars, but he doesn't change like the planetary systems. He's a fixed reference point, the unchanging, holy, almighty, sovereign God, and he's good. Every good and perfect gift comes from the fixed reference point of a holy and sovereign God. You got him on your side. Paul the Apostle talked about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, where he said, No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. You face temptation, good. It means you're normal. You're a common person. But God is faithful. Remember, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. The temptation may be hard. It may be long. It may be tough. But God will not. Do you believe His Word? God says He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able with. But with the temptation, the good Father we have will make a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. Whenever you say, I just couldn't resist, you're lying to yourself and you're lying to the Lord. Because God says you can, but only in the right way. Because handled wrongly, temptation will lead you to sin, but handled rightly, God shows you the way of escape. And then also remember when you're tempted, verse 18, that we belong to Him. Verse 18 says, of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, what does that have to do with temptation? James is saying, remember who you are. You ever told your teenagers? I was told as a teenager by my parents and other folks that you need to remember who you are and whose you are. And they always told me that when I was going out at night. I don't know what they meant by that. <laughs> remember who you are and whose you are. That's what James is doing. You're facing temptation. Remember who you are of him, of his own, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. We became his children. We are sons and daughters of God and joint heirs of Jesus Christ. You're not a pauper on the street begging. You're a child of the king feasting on the banquet feast of his grace and his sovereignty and his mercy. So when you're faced with temptation, don't run around the mud and the pig slop of the slime. Realize you're a child of the king. The will of God through the death of Jesus Christ brought you a new life and sin does not belong to you. You do not belong to him because you are now wrought by the grace of Jesus Christ you are his you belong to him and when you belong to Jesus why would you chase the trifles and fluttering fleeting passions of this world James says remember to whom you belong of his own will he brought you forth you belong to him let me finish my message by giving you some practical steps of how you can endure temptation because temptation if it's not knocking on your door today, it, it may by the end of this afternoon. <laughs> Some practical steps for enduring temptation. Uh, have you heard the old um, simple uh, poem? Uh, it says, Two natures beat within my breast. One is foul, the other is blessed. One I love, the other I hate. But the one I feed would dominate. <laughs> so how do you feed that spiritual struggle in you where you can overcome sin that temptation will lead you to God and not to sin well one practical thing is guard your mind guard your mind so much of the spiritual battle of temptation happens in the mind what are you feeding your mind what are you filling your mind with 
Because if you're, if you're filling your mind with, with salacious images and, and nude scenes from movies you're watching or certain kind of music or you're holding on to bitterness or holding on to lust or holding on to anger, if you're feeding that into your mind, you're going to be fighting a losing battle. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, that whatever is, whatever is true and just and noble, whatever is pure and lovely and good report, whatever has virtue, whatever has virtue, uh, virtue, whatever is praiseworthy, think on these things. Guard your mind. Put, put a guard, a sentry, at the doorway of your mind. And if things try to come into your mind, say, let me see your past. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it just? You can't come in. Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of good report? You're not making it in. Is it a virtue? Is it praiseworthy? You can't come in. I'm guarding my mind. So if you want to overcome, endure temptation, filter what comes into your mind. Everything from movies to books, emotions, words, guard your mind. A second practical step Avoid tempting situations. Yes, it can be as simple as that. Avoid tempting situations. I had a church member once that said, if you sit in a barber shop long enough, somebody eventually will end up cutting your hair. So if you don't want your hair cut, don't sit in a barber shop. Avoid tempting situations. A pastor friend was telling me about a time he was working with a young couple. And they were struggling with uh, making sure their, their, their relationship didn't cross the line, any sexual boundaries, any improprieties. And they really were struggling with that as this young couple was struggling. And they said, they said well, Pastor, you know, it's just so difficult to resist that temptation. Because, you know, when, when we find ourselves at his apartment and we're there all alone and it's late at night and we're under the blanket sitting on the couch together with the lights down low. It's so hard to resist. And the pastor said, well, you need to back that train up a little bit here before you get way down the road. Of course, if you follow all those steps, it's going to be almost irresistible. So avoid putting yourself in that place to begin with. How many times have you seen people fall into sin because they thought they could get close to the ledge or close to the edge and not fall over. And how many times have people said, well, I'm not crossing the line, and they're walking backwards to the ledge the whole time. I know the ledge is back there somewhere. I know it's back there somewhere, but I, I ain't crossed the line. I haven't crossed the line. And they, and they see how close they can get to the edge. And some of them take great joy and, and really make questionable lifestyle decisions because they want to skirt the edge and say, I haven't fallen over. Do you know somebody like that in your life that almost brags about how close they, how edgy they can be in their life but still not cross the line? Have you ever seen that in your own life? You've celebrated, I can get close to the edge. And, and so the question is not to ask how close can I get to the, to the edge without falling over. The question is why would you start walking toward the edge anyway? <laughs> Avoid tempting situations. Give it a wide berth. You'd be surprised the difference that makes. A third practical step is to admit your weaknesses. If you struggle with anger, admit it. If you struggle with jealousy about a certain person, admit it. If you struggle with lust, admit it. 
If you struggle with unforgiveness or greed or, or, or one worldly, admit your weakness. Somebody once said the hardest conversation you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. <laughs> admit to yourself your weakness, and that can enable you to find strength. I uh, have with me, as I carry on a regular basis, a Alcoholics Anonymous chip for two years of sobriety. It's not mine. <laughs> it belongs to my brother. Well, it belongs to me. On his two-year anniversary, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous gave my brother uh, this chip. And that was a lot of years ago. I, 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 this is one of my cherished possessions. I, I keep it with me on a regular basis. And uh, now he's been sober some 18 years. But at his second year, he gave this to me because we talked about his alcoholism on a regular basis. And... Uh, and I love his journey, and what a hard, hard, hard time it's been. So if you have alcoholism in your family, I do too. I have my brother and some other family members. I'd love to encourage you on that journey if that's something in your life. Or maybe you're here this morning and you yourself are struggling with a problem with beverage alcohol, and you haven't yet had an honest conversation with yourself. But my brother gave me this, this chip, and and uh, what a hard journey he went through to break uh, the temptation and the cycle of alcoholism in his life. And he was visiting me here in um, Statesboro early in his journey. And he was looking up, finding out where in Statesboro is there an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And to his good fortune, there were several. And if you know how to find those, let me know, and I can help you find those. And so he found an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting he went to while he was visiting here in Statesboro. And so I got to talking to him. I thought, you know, my, my, he couldn't even be away from Macon. Everywhere he goes, he's got to find an AA meeting to go to. I said, I said to him, Randy, do you go to an AA meeting every single day? You know what he told me? I've never forgotten it. He said, sometimes I go twice a day. Ah. He knew this was a battle he couldn't fight. Sometimes once a day wasn't enough. He's going twice a day. He was admitting his weaknesses. And he stands today nearly two decades of sobriety. Maybe you need to have an honest conversation with yourself. As we sang this morning, maybe you can see a victory because the battle is going to belong to the Lord. A fourth practical step is to use wisdom over willpower. That, that happens when you work through these first things. When, when you start to guard your mind and avoid tempting situations and admit your weaknesses, all of a sudden you're starting to use wisdom instead of willpower. If you're fighting temptation with willpower, eventually you're going to lose. <laughs> but if you fight it with wisdom, it's amazing the difference that it make. And the fifth final step is Find more pleasure in God than in sin. This is really the key. Don't, don't drift away from me. Because tips and tricks will only go so far. At the end of the day, if you're going to endure temptation, you've got to find more pleasure in the goodness and the glory of God than you do in the empty, broken, cotton candy, waterless well promises of the world. And that comes from, that bubbles up from a growing, vibrant relationship with Jesus, where you're reading His Word every day. 
You're surrounding yourself with godly friends. You're filtering your mind through the music and the movies and the stuff you read. And, and, and you're pursuing a life of godliness, not because you're holier than thou, but because God's holier than you. And as you, as you build and as you, as you foster a, a vibrant relationship with Jesus, when you begin to have more pleasure in the beauty of the Lord Jesus and the glory and magnificence of God and the joy and the peace of His grace and the bountiful blessings of His mercy, when you have more joy and pleasure in God than you do in sin, when temptation comes knocking on your door, you won't waller in the mug and the slime and the pig slop of brokenness and lostness and sinfulness. Instead, you'll say, I'm a child of the King. I enjoy the glory of God. I find pleasure in Him, not pleasure in the world. And in that moment, your temptation will not lead you to sin. Instead, it will lead you to God. So what if? What if our temptations could actually lead us to God instead of sin? Now let's pray together. Lord, help us to sense your Holy Spirit teaching us and leading us from your scripture today. That when we face temptation, help us to endure it by your grace as a good, good father. And may it draw us closer to you and deeper in our faith and more intimate in our relationship with Jesus as we endure the temptations of this world. And we pray this in the everlasting name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. We have not yet Thank you again for joining our live stream this morning. As we wrap up our service inside, I'd like to let you know that you too can make a commitment to follow Jesus by going to fbcborough.church. There you can learn about our ministries, programs, and activities, or you can let us know that you've made that decision to follow Jesus. We look forward to walking alongside you on this journey, and thanks again for joining First Baptist Church this morning.